0: I've apparently left you speechless.
1: Yeah, it's just uh, it's more on the level of disgust that I have that it even has to, you know, it has to even come to that because it just comes down to, it, it is essentially uh, be, them being extremely naive to, uh, to be influenced by those who would easily take advantage of them and let them go on and about. Because that as shown, the younger the, the young are often the bold, the ones who will charge needlessly, when or they will charge into the unknown, not realizing that they are, may potentially be making a fatal mistake. <clears throat> Welcome to the bar. Have a seat. Take up a nail, for Captain Mediocre Hunt. Um, Well, that was a butchered intro, but let's go ahead and move on from that. Tonight's discussion stems from last week's topic. With communication being much more widely available than ever before, it should come to no surprise that many young people throw their hats in on many plethora of topics both serious and unimportant. Much of this stems from the rise of modern media and communications from the 40s and onward. But I think it's interesting how much of the youth shapes and impacts discussion over time. From the civil rights movements, for an example, to today's less than Trivial matters, I suppose. It's become a norm. So, where am I getting at here? Well, my good listener, I propose this question to you. Do you believe the youth should participate in adult discourse? Wait, wait. I thought it already happens. And, yes, it does. question still stands, though. I, ask before, I have noticed a, a rising trend. The need to shield the young from criticism just because they're young. Look, I think it's perfectly fine if you don't want to be criticized for your take on matters or even if you don't want adults to criticize. You. Fair enough. Now, surprisingly, I do agree that youth should participate in adult discussion should they choose to we all live in this world and there are many different topics and issues that affect them even after earlier generations die off so there's nothing wrong with having them partake in a discussion that may interest them with that being said if you're going to put your opinion out, you'd best be willing to take the heat. I think it's baffling that people believe that a youth should be free from adult criticism just because they're young. It's absurd. In any normal, healthy discussion, any and all opinions should be critiqued if there's grounds for. Even statements of fact should be questioned and backed with evidence. So why are the youth the exception to some people? If you're going to partake in adult discourse, don't, you don't get to use your age as a shield. If you want to be taken seriously, being young is not an excuse and if you want to avoid criticism don't participate it's an easy trade off if in my opinion one thing that kind of has me on the edge though are political pawns now what do i mean about that we don't often realize that people can and will use others or political discourse, whether it's to incite outcry or to push agendas, political support, the young are often the most vulnerable and the easiest to manipulate. If we look throughout history, some of our biggest events is filled are filled with political indoctrination. Look at the Hitler Youth, for example. A regiment of young women, women, children, I might add, who were brainwashed to accept and embrace Nazi ideology and philosophy. And when the war was turning against Germany's favor, they too were sent off to war to die alongside their adult countrymen. It's freaking wild. Extreme example, yes. But to ignore it is to imply that political discourse won't target youth. And as much as that, as much as we fear it, it can. I do believe in the idea that kids should be kids and just let them grow up before they take on serious matters. It's a bit contradictory, and I admit it does to an extent. But I also acknowledge the perspective that may be lost on us adults, but also that some youth will be interested in these topics over more trivial ones. Simply understand, if you're a youth or teen, any discussion that is worth having, there will be discourse, and that means even your ideas can be challenged. Your age does not grant you protection. And most of all, you should at least be open to new ideas, just as everyone else should. You shouldn't blindly take everything to course. No, obviously not. But understanding every idea introduced to you can enlighten you to new ideas, new conjecture a better way of dealing with the world around you. I do believe the young have just as much right to discuss adult matters as any other, but no more. What do you think, good sir? What are your thoughts? Should they be given the right to discuss? Why do you think people feel that a youth's opinion should be protected from adult criticism on on adult matters?
0: Why are political pawns often the young and naive? Well, your last question you pretty much answered yourself. Naivete is a tool used by the experience. And mostly, most people will understand that if you can manipulate somebody who is either emotionally or mentally vulnerable in one capacity or another you are going to have a an effective weapon against your opponents if you have any
1: is that a key component in manipulating others or is that just often
0: the easiest to exploit well it's both if you look at if you want to look deeper into it in any situation where you're trying to gain an advantage against somebody in a political arena, you tend to look for the easiest routes to be able to gain the high ground on them. In most cases, it's often um, it usually is associated with exploiting a situation that has created that vulnerability in one particular person or group where it's usually due to some sort of violence or conflict where they don't have the resources or the me- or the mental fortitude at that particular juncture to resist your compulsion or your uh, um, or, or, or your uh, commands as it were to do as as you see fit. Moreover, it, it, in most cases it's much more subtle than that in that people gen- people generally are much more, Receptive to appeals to some form of humanity or some kind of um, humanistic uh, you know, humanistic methodology when, when they're in a state of uh, weakness of some kind, whether because of you know death or something much more uh, you know, monumental, as it were
1: okay i can
0: see that <sighs> moreover it's for me getting back to your first question because you you did ask too um, your first question is more of a if a kid is being if a per, if a, a youth is being dragged into a into an, an adult arena to be used as some sort of polarization or bellwether for a movement or a political goal. Generally, when, when a kid is usually brought into a public forum with adults, there's a certain amount of uh, cushion that the, the children should be allotted. How much that is is dependent upon the topic at hand and the urgency of the situation. I don't think that there needs to be a full kid glove scenario as if it's but it depends on the age of the child <laughs> concessions should be made if they if they're under a certain age if they're you know late middle school to high school age where they are in situ but likely in more complex interpersonal situations or are learning about such you can obviously you know ease up on the training wheels as it were for that situation Especially if these are kids who might have some sort of experience in, you know, high school level debate or the like, whereas you can kind of, you know, you can pull some punches, but you shouldn't feel compelled to, you know, put the bumpers on the, on the bowling alley, so to speak. And with that, I'd, I'd say it's kind of a 50, 50. And if and if they're like 16 to 17 years old, I don't see a reason why you would need to, you know, be why you can't go mostly, you know, 80 to 90 percent on them when it comes to that kind of scrutiny, especially because if they are active, if they are actively engaging in, in the adult battlefield, as it were, then they are just susceptible to uh wounding as any other person who takes the field willingly if they are dragged on it against their will i imagine it would have to be there there would need to be parameters set prior to them you know doing battle as it were at least that's my perspective on it i'm sure I, i'm sure we'd get a lot of pushback on that with people especially with stuff like what had happened with um, the you know the school shootings that had happened over the past four or five years, and yeah. you know the the students taking the battlefield for for those particular situations, and I, I'm imagining that's probably one of your examples, and possibly like the Covington kids scenario as well.
1: Yeah, I don't see that they have an issue. I do not give them any. Um, I wouldn't bar them for any per se that they shouldn't have a say in. Um after all they experienced quite a bit and what they experienced was quite traumatic. It's more on the, they, it does not make them the experts in, uh, the, in what they're uh, debating over. And that means they're going to have to deal with the, the truth uh, of matters just as much as any other would. I can understand and sympathize for their, uh, their for their fear, absolutely. I don't think anybody would. I don't think anybody should be unsympathetic to their cause. But it's one. It's one thing to have sympathy for them. It's quite another when they are trying to uh, push toward no, push for something using uh, what I would say is flawed logic.
0: Well, that flawed logic generally comes with a lack of understanding of the material to its fullest extent. But I would contest that there are some adults who have the same problem and they would be in they would be in a similarly compromised situation as the, the children would be. In most cases, it, it especially with level with political maneuvering as it were. It really is how many bullets you have in your gun when you when you uh, when you start the showdown, as it were. And in most cases, when you have children who are trying to run purely on their own stressors, be it personal outrage or trauma based on experience, it only goes so far to propel their whatever message they're trying to drive. To a general public who is much more, who probably has a bit more experience in those avenues, or at the very least, can contextualize it a lot more uh, specifically than you're able to do. And that, that in all honesty, would be probably where most people, including yourself, have start to have your issues is because you have people who are clearly thrown either by choice or as you know, brought on by, by another uh, combatant, as it were, into these arenas where they clearly don't have all of the information or enough life experience to be able to truly articulate in a way that makes sense the point they're trying to get across. Should they be, you know, should they have a lit cigarette whipped at them for for that not understanding what you know what they were getting themselves into? I don't think so, but I don't think that they should be completely uh, ageist from or, or, or shielded, as it were. Let's not get too vocabulary heavy here. Shielded from total and utter, you know, in depth scrutiny. I think that they do need to have. That they need to, at the very least, have their their viewpoint or their topic set under the microscope by other people who may have either a counter, either a a, a contradictory viewpoint or a neutral viewpoint to the either side of the debate. The debate who can make a much more uh, pointed uh, filtration of what's actually being pushed out, as it were. Um that's fair uh i will contest
1: that with the uh with the example of using of adults that may have not though who may uh suffer the uh the same lack of uh awareness or knowledge or or have the full uh or have the all all the facts straight uh the reason we still the reason we still uh you know, deal with them full no, full blast is because they are adults. They have the full responsibility amongst themselves to make that decision to join the debate. Now, for those who are younger, who't you know, who aren't adults, the leniency we generally give is that you are a child and you don't or should say you, are, you aren't yet an adult. And it's okay for you not to join in the discussion because it's not something that you should, at the very least, have to participate as of, you know, as of now. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're going to be an adult eventually. Before you know it, you're a, you being a kid will no longer even be a potential factor in these matters. You will, ha- you will have just as much say as any one of us does. And thus, you could al- you can always, you know, bide your time, but and uh, develop your uh, d- develop your oration skills before you know, before joining in the conversation. I understand that there are youth activists. Absolutely, do I think that they need to necessarily join in on the conversation? Not all the time, as long but. I would say if you're going to join, that's fine. You're going to join, that's fine. But like you, like you mentioned, do, just expect people to, uh, to be completely to be complicit, and uh, don't expect them to be compli- complicit. If they're going, if they're going to disagree, they should be allowed to, and your age should not be a factor
0: in why they can't one of the things that's usually in place for youth advocacy is it's usually done as a program through a school district or through uh, other activity platforms and often there's usually a person who acts as the teacher or guardian of the group of kids who are doing these different activities and often, what ends up happening is when it comes to something that's larger or has a has a, a more uh, a, an adult scope to it, the kids are usually brought in in a more field trip aspect to these things. They're often they often contribute their own ideas and perspectives and studies into the uh, into the narrative that they're trying to construct. But the guardian tends to be the proxy. For the kids in place When it comes to You know meeting head to head With other adults as it were And they usually are used As a form of filtration Or at the very least a way to Iron out some of the much more Rough uh, uh, <clears throat> Pre uh, You know Pre uh, For better, for lack of a better word uh, <clears throat> God my brain today uh for lack of a better word uh infant infant words in their infancy as it were I'm, i can't think of a better phrase at this point but it, the 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 new formed ideas that the kids are trying to transmit the proxy x is a way to filter it in a way that's much more digestible and much more impactful when presented to an adult forum and this way they still get to contribute their ideas but the person who's usually in in uh, in charge of the group is used as a way to push those ideas forward with actu- with actual adult experience uh, as it were
1: okay i think i i think i can understand your point a little better
0: it makes sense especially with like The different clubs, like debate clubs and Amnesty International and different things that that kids often do, they do have some form of guardianship over them so that they have direction, one, and they have somebody who can go to bat for them with regards to the whatever group or club that they're a part of. If they want to do something much more groundbreaking, depending on what, depending on the, uh, challenge level of the group as it were. And that, that's, it ends up being the, the advantage at that point, but that also is a form of filtration and, and, and shielding for the kids because the scrutiny that they are, that, that's being, that may be foisted upon them is directed towards the, the Guardian, so they tend to be, they would be able to handle it a little bit better and be able to articulate better to the adult forum what those things may end up being that might be some other concerns that need to be straightened out to, as presented to the group.
1: See, that's not necessarily as bad as it could be because at the very least the, uh, the proxy is presenting them into a controlled environment where they can, uh, where, where it's easier, where it's easier for them to get their message across and be able to take criticism better, uh, than rather than go, them going all out in the wilderness, sort of say. And, uh, deal and, you know, uh, present their discrepancies uh, to uh, an active uh, to an active hearing for a lack of a lack of a better term.
0: Yes, and it allows them a training wheels aspect that they can use to build themselves up with. And especially if they go on into college and do something similar in either higher, ed- in higher education, it, the, in most cases, there's still those uh, barriers in place to an extent, because in most cases, the youngest age people who end up in college is 17. So they're not technically, it's a precipice. They're not quite into adulthood. And I would even go so far, and I think I would want to turn this into its own separate subject matter, Um, I would debate that with the way things function, they aren't technically even adults in the mental capacity, at least for a good few years after they'd started college, if they start 17 or 18. Because their life experience levels are still way lower. It's just an honor. It's just an honorary and a legal note at that point for kids for the, for them. They still have the, 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 the sensibilities of a child. Or at the very least of of a teenager, and those don't generally fade away too quick without some sort of life experience. So I
1: think that might be an interesting topic to discuss. Maybe that might be maybe that might be uh, next week's uh, discussion because that's actually uh, that's actually an interesting thought.
0: Yeah. At what point would you? At what point a personal point would you consider someone an adult? That would definitely be something we could talk about. But for the purposes of our conversation now, it's, we'll leave it that. it's something that should be kept into account even at that point because the the, the gap keeps widening as far as you know as society is concerned, and looking at a lot of the, the life experiences of the people who end up taking the field as protesters or advocates they definitely are lack- they definitely are lacking in the in life experience even at the point of of where they would actually be starting to have those discourses and it's easy enough to dispel them or dismiss them as merely tax paying children at that point especially because in most cases and this is where the term ageist came from, for in 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 popular modern terminologies, where you're holding over someone's head their age, their age and relative life experience over them. Well, I'm sorry, you. There is a specific point where that occurs, and obviously it goes the other way, where you you use age as a discriminatory if they're too old. But there are distinct benefits in either direction and and drawbacks and those things are usually taken into account when you are when you are confronting an individual whether in a positive or a negative situation and i see no reason why those things need to be completely dispelled outright while i don't go out of my way to hold over someone's head what their age is i am more than comfortable conforming and adjusting my my conversation to whatever their sensibilities may be based on what I what I perceive their age is. They're actively masking or obfuscating what the, what they are, how old they are and whatever capacity that's on them. But when it comes to general conversation or debate, it's much more viewed as a personal attack or an ad hominem attack to be to go after somebody's age or relative intelligence when it comes to those things it still happens it still happens often and if you look at online discourse it happens way too often i mean
1: that's a fair point but i think the big i think the biggest problem that people have that um is that they feel is that they may feel that they have more experience or they are Uh, more intelligent than what their age may show them. And I think that is a serious, serious sign of arrogance. Um, Because let's get this thing straight. If you understand that no matter how old you are, there is an amount of experience and intellect that is not going to be a part of you. Then it's not something that you should be offended by when somebody who does not know you at all gives a predetermination of what you're of what you're capable of based on your age. There is no real such thing as a person who is smarter than their age or mature for their age, because there is a because there are simply an amount of an experience that you are not going to have at a certain point in your life. At 10 years old, you're not work. You, you, the majority of people at 10 years old are not do are not working in jobs. This isn't the stick. This isn't the 18th century anymore. Child so, labor laws are a thing.
0: I want to counter that statement. And also, I, it, it's, it's a 50-50. I agree with you that, you know no, the, the you know, smart for their age or wise for their age scenario. There is a major reason why in most school systems, public school systems, that the concept of, you know, pushing, of allowing a kid to spring forward a grade, skipping grades, is no longer something that a lot of schools do anymore. And there's for several reasons. One because each grade with it with, usually is particularly crafted to handle the the behavioral patterns and sensibilities of that particular age bracket and when you skip a grade to, for, for a kid because of a because they might have an enhanced intelligence or or the, the, you know whatever the, whatever the case may be maybe they moved schools and the points that they had in one school were have more heavily weighed in one school district than another, whatever the reason ends up being, the reason they don't do it anymore is because you still, the, the, the you lose out on the social, uh, <clears throat> the social crafting that occurs during that grade. What ends up happening often is kids usually are given to gifted programs that they do either parallel to what they're, to their normal school stuff or, during those school hours in place of what they would normally do, but they're still within the same grade category. And when you have those situations where you do have kids who are hyper intelligent or, you know, whatever it, for whatever reason, there's a, there's a level of, there's a level of social engineering in place that they lose out on if they skip grades. And it's something that, that, uh, Definitely needed to be cut down on and I'm kind of glad they've done so with regards to your statement of, you know, being wise for their years or having an old soul, whatever, whatever, you know, whatever, you know, euf- euphemisms being used to push, you know, giving people, wa- giving kids more credit than they may deserve in whatever, whatever, you know, strata they may end up in. I don't know. I think I'm kind of 50 50 on it. Like I said before i think there are kids who are super intelligent and end up in gifted programs and such but i that what ends up happening is is that they 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 lose growth in other areas in the process and they still end up they they, they still end up dumber in one aspect or another yeah for lack of, for, for again for lack of better terminology the the there's definitely a there's definitely a retraction in one area versus a, the, the escalation in another. And while a lot of people would view that as as negligible at, at worst, it's much more pronounced than having known people who've experienced stuff like that, especially kids who have done, you know, extensive private schooling or have done homeschooling. There are deficits there that never end up getting made up, especially as they go into adulthood.
1: Of course it's a classic example of uh, specialization. You're never if, if you specialize on one particular uh on one particular field, you'll be great at that field, but you'll be lacking on others. And while that might be great if in the, that might be great in your in your chosen career field, that doesn't mean that you are that you're prepped or well suited for other fields and this goes with no exception when it comes to the child prodigy
0: there's an old saying that people take out of context they usually segment it out of the three parts that it includes a lot of people like to talk about oh i'm a jack of all trades and they usually just kind of leave it at that and there are some people who like to throw it back at them and go yeah you're a jack of all trades but you're a master of none and it's like that's not the full saying the full saying is this Jack of all trades, master of none, better than only master of one. And that ends up being something that a lot of people don't take into account. I would rather have an eclectic person who, met, who doesn't have ridiculous spe- specialties in maybe one or two fields. I would rather have someone who's dipped their toe in many ponds, even if they may not have full mastery over that particular area, if i can get that person in the door and they know enough to be able to you know get their footing in whatever they're trying to get into that level of eclecticism is a good thing and it's something that most teachers that i've that, that i've interacted with in my life have stated are is an absolutely advantageous thing to have as you especially as you get older being eclectic in in what you're aware of and what you can do and what you know leaves you at a place where if you ever are stuck in a situation where you have to use any of those skills that you only have, well, novice or intermediate training in, you can develop it into a specialty with very little difficulty, and you wouldn't lose anything in the other things you were aware of. So that definitely is absolutely correct. And and I feel like every like few episodes, we always bring up old, old sayings that needed to be debunked or actually spelled out. And that's, again, another one. No, Jack of I- all trades, master of none, but better than only master of one. Well, I mean, not to play devil's
1: advocate, but if we're going to go with that, here's a quote that I that might interest you, that actually goes somewhat against the flow of that. If we, if I'm to quote Bruce Lee, "Be afraid not of the one who practice who." Who learns a thousand kicks and practices once, but rather the one who learns one kick and practices a thousand times. It is the. I'm not. I'm not sure if that's the exact quote. I'm. I'm fairly certain. I. Bur- I butchered it, but there is an advantage in special in specializing uh, early, and that is the the. Um, The unmitigated uh, mastery of the skill that you've chosen in a field in a society like ours today, while we often tell ourselves that it is good to uh, broaden your horizons and uh, try to pick up, you know, try to be balanced in your skill set, it's specialization. That ends up being the most desirable trait by uh, by most businesses. So, to be able to ma- um to specialize and master uh, a particular skill is actually quite advantageous, given the given the. Um, given the, uh, the climate of the, our uh, – well, given the economic climate we have at the moment.
0: Now, I'm, like, I'm liking the push and pull here, so I'll counter you what you're saying, because if you look at any company who may be hiring, <clears throat> eclecticism is always viewed as an, as an advantage, and in most cases, unless it's a highly specialized job and company that you're hiring for, they prefer a diverse resume with different types of activities, schooling, job experience, etc., to be able to get you into the door. And I, the, while having mastery of a particular thing is, a, is very much something that should be, it be applauded and definitely revered in some cases, depending on the relative age and experience of the person, it's, uh, if you look at and this is in context of Bruce Lee, especially um, you, you, he himself was not a, not a full on master of one particular art. He was a master of several, if I'm not mistaken. And he even amalgamized them into his own me- methodology of, of, of combat. So even in that an individual like himself, it's, it's a contradictory statement. If only just for the fact that he himself was eclectic in what he did. That's actually a fair point. I forgot all about that. That's actually excellent. It's. It, it, I, I appreciate. The, I appreciate what he's trying to do because he, his statement is correct at and on its face. But if you look at who he is, and if you look at, um, in recent history, I believe I've shown. I believe I sent you the link to that video, uh, where I talked about the uh, the MMA fighter in China who decided he was bored of doing his own thing, and he was trying to going to take on the different Kung Fu masters in his country who were specialized in one particular type of combat or, or, or two and, and massacred them roundly every time he came across them.
1: Yep. Agreed. Actually, that's a, that's actually a wonderful example because it showed that Kung Fu was too rigid and stale in its practice, uh, to keep up with the, uh, the complexity and, uh, And and modernization of the MMA style,
0: a a very mixed martial art, the very the very definition and epitome of eclecticism in combat. No arguments there. Fair enough. It's kind of interesting because it's, it's something that, that that's, uh, people don't seem to really think about because you have a bunch of people who are specialists in things and neglecting the general understanding of the things around them in favor of that, while it can be lucrative, a lot, it, because of the, the finite nature of human, of, uh, of human lifespan, you only get so much time to be able to really absorb the, the, the full spectrum of knowledge and understanding and life experiences and pushing yourself into one corner of another uh, creates a, a distinct disadvantage that you can only hope to circumvent through, you know, retirement and death at that point where it won't matter if you're, if your specialty isn't useful at the, you know, at the apex of your existence, you want to have that, that, that all around coverage, especially with, especially now with with the economic experiences we're dealing with i find myself reaching out um and trying to learn new things i've i'm, I'm taking my time and learning how to do fermentation of foods i have seeds and i'm going to start trying my hand at planting i want to try and ensure that i have at the very least a, a tertiary a a a, a, a a partial understanding of the different aspects of things for my life, if not just for survival, but for, you know, generic domestic hobbies as it were. So I I think a lot of people, especially, you know, talking with friends who had to have been living through COVID, at least the ones who didn't have nearly as much, didn't have as much to do because either their jobs are furloughed or, you know, personal injury on the job. They definitely have tried to expand out their understanding and their expertise in different directions so that they can kind of pick up and put down what they want. And I mean, this extends out even to our own our own group, because, you know, being being where what we are and, and what we do with podcasting is we're only part of a larger group of people who actually are doing podcasting. And it's something that we all are kind of developing as we go. It's the little things we don't generally think about as we're going about our daily lives that we just do, and we don't even realize we're doing them as, per, as ways that we improve upon ourselves. And I, I, I know we've kind of gotten off kilter a bit from our, our original <laughs> topic, but it, it kind of comes hand in hand with, with things and life experience as an apex point, as, as a focal point for the, the youth climbing into more experienced arenas and trying their hand against people who definitely have much more experience.
1: It's not just now I will throw, I will throw the youth a bone here. We are not perfect in, in our, we're not perfect even with experience. We've definitely, you can definitely uh, acquire negative experiences that may impact your way of thinking as you get older, and that might leave the young at a particular advantage against those kinds of folks. But the point that I was, the point that I would always try to go with uh, on the general stasis is that I, I am welcome, I'm open to the idea of young people partic- uh, uh, participating in adult discourse. I welcome the idea. Absolutely. There is always a new perspective that we either forget as we get older or that it's a new perspective that we never experienced ourselves. And that is something that we can be open to at least to understand if not uh, outright agree. Because what it because with a you and young perspective comes a less um, a a less constructed and um, should I say detailed perspective that would have uh, that would otherwise
0: be um, fleshed out with age. I think what you end up having is the the advantages of youth are this you have you have relatively boundless energy when you're when when you're younger, and it's something that can be, when directed, a very powerful force for change, and and improvement in society. What ends up happening is there's never a mentor, pure mentorship, pure enough. For those kids to come to their own conclusions as they develop, to be able to have them be an arbiter for change in one positive way or another, they are always bent to an agenda that may or may not be good for them, Going especially as they get older and their sensibilities may change. A lot of people don't really understand that and do, don't tend to take that into account. That what your, what your opinions of things and your philosophy may be changes as you get older. Parts may stay the same. The core may be the same. But how you get to that point changes and morphs over time. And people who tend to think in one way when they're younger, you know, push to the complete pole, may push to the complete polar opposite. As they shift into another decade of life. And what. And and the problem ends up being. Is that there's no middle ground. On those particular things. For them to be able to springboard. Into a more rational understanding. Or a more more multifaceted understanding. Of the different aspects. And nuances of whatever subject matter. That they're tackling. And. And that's. Problematic at the very least. And it can be outright malicious at the very worst, especially when you can get a large enough group of people who are who are you know. Where they say the youth are our future. It's not the it's, it's they're not kidding in that aspect because going forward, that's the leverage point that a lot of people use when it comes to political maneuvering because they're using them almost to almost as a. <clears throat> A political body shield for them, because no one's going to go out and actively take a take a swipe at a kid, verbally or otherwise, in in a forum, in any particular forum. At least that's the you know implied social contract is concerned. When there are, and when someone who does take off the kid gloves and decide to you know put put a, a kid in the spotlight. In a situation where there's justification for that to occur, if if a kid is questioning something, they have the, the people who are who they are questioning have the right to defend themselves in in that public forum in a verbal and a rational way, and it should be and, and they should be given the same ground. But because of the different social contracts in place, it's much more difficult and much more difficult to. Be able to explain that away when somebody can just turn to you, and be like, hey, "They're a kid; you shouldn't be saying that," or "They're a kid; you shouldn't be explaining it that way." And no matter how justified you are, if they can sway public opinion against you, even if you are, even if your intentions are as golden are as golden as the sun, it won't matter. You can still lose. Uh, I see your point. It's rather disappointing, though, uh, but. i I guess i see your point oh it's ridiculously disappointing because if it because anybody who who understands the political arena knows that you would the, the way you would have to be able to strike well you wouldn't be able to strike the kid you'd have to you'd have to go around and hit the root source of why that's why that child is even there and there's usually a a dark and twisted hand, usually moving that moving them around like pawns on a on a on a chessboard. It takes a lot more skill to be able to get that person dislodged from their fr- from their uh, their flock, as it were. Everything starts at the home. If the parents if 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 parents aren't willing to teach kids a level of skepticism with regards to adult intention especially with especially with something that has such gravity be it school shootings or gun control in general or drugs in uh in you know school systems anything that would be that have the gravity that it would in in the kids world the parallels there are always something that need to be Cultivated, but moreover, the kids who are, are part of those progr- uh, part of those networks, need to have a level of uh, callous, as it were, when dealing with such uh, frivolous situations, such as a free handout or a free bit of advice or a free platform given to them by a higher authority, be it a news source or a local politician. If, the, if their parents aren't teaching them to be be wary of those things, that's when you get those situations. It needs to start at the home is my major point. You should be teaching your child to be we- wary of any free handouts at all. Fair enough. But that potentially could bite you in the ass, too, if you think about it,
1: because... For most households, you are taught that the parents are the ultimate authority. And if you are teaching them to at least question authority at some point, uh, they may question yours. And I know that as you get, as a child gets older and they reach their teen years, they're going to do so anyway. But you might be having them do so at a much earlier age. And... Uh, I don't think most parents are wanting to deal with that sort of shit, so they just they just leave it as a a hard you listen to the authority, we are the authority, and our when our word is absolute, it may not be said that particular that particular way,
0: but it basically feels like it then they would be doing a disservice to not only their progeny but themselves. I've had conversations with other parents about this and one conversation I had in particular was very intriguing to me because there's a, because there, you have to have the push and pull mentality of an, of a parent to be able to make the hard decisions necessary to in rearing your child. And as they get to much more rational thinking ages, or at the very least questioning ages, because kids are, kids are natural sponges for information, knowledge, and life experience well beyond their teens we, we're always constantly learning creatures but they're definitely at their most uh, receptive in those time frames creating those partitions in them allows them to be able to have a have a, at least a step or two of filtration between them and the raw unkempt information flow that exists in the real world because the, the while the parent is is the is the middleman between What's going on in the outside world and the child, there is a certain amount that you don't have any control over that they may learn from outside of your, you know, sphere of influence through school, through other kids and being able to challenge children who come to you with much more foreign understanding than they, they may have gleaned from either, a, you know, a classroom or a TV show, or a YouTube video, or an article, whatever whatever medium they may have pulled it from, gives you the ability to test the durability of their stance on that particular viewpoint. Even if it's something that's a bit more, you know, preschool in its in its execution, you can at the very least develop their scrutinizing and comprehension capabilities in a way that would allow them to not, not just wholesale give themselves to a cause without at the very least putting a, a cursory level of uh, research into it so that they're not wasting their energy on something that's not going to pan out, at least in their perception. So having to, So having that level of challenge of your authority even in part, it's just part of the development process. It's something you take into account with the way you teach your child. If they're going to fight you on things, they're going to fight you on things. What you need to do is, while having, having a, stern, a stern countenance when it comes to dealing with it, you need to be able to understand and be able to bend and flow with the process. It's something you have to do. Because if you become rigid and they, you keep creating situations where the kid never feels like they can get out, it's just going to make their eventual, you know, harder rebellion against you that much more devastating, and m- possibly alter the way that they view you, and it'll alter your 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 overall relationship with your child. You need to be able to have that push and pull in place. I agree. It, it's it's something that I, that I that I've talked with other people about, and I try and incorporate that into the way I look at things. And the way that I myself uh, rear my own child, it, I want them to come to you know question me and my motives because for two reasons: one, having a fresh perspective from a, from youth is a good way to keep yourself polished and the way that you look at things in reality. The other thing is to be able to push back against them and te- and test the test their resolve on something that they maybe have strong feelings about because if they're not if they don't have 2 feet firmly planted on something and they can you know change their change their attitude about something or change their perspective on something you have to you have to be able to understand why that why that change occurred or where they got their, their root uh uh talk, talking point from so it tends to be the, it tends to be a, a a divide between those two situations
1: fair enough I think that's a I think that's a uh, fair enough reason.
0: <laughs> my perspective is definitely coming from a parent, and it's something that I I've had before you even brought this to my brought the subject up. It was something that's been tumbling in my head for a bit, anyways. Especially because that's what we were talking about last week. It's something that you know I've I've internalized into my own uh, you know parenting curriculum as good things have gone forward. And it got also as somebody who has, you know, who is in a relationship, you know, in a love in a loving relationship. So having two parents in the household, it's not just something I'm pushing and pulling against him, but it is also something that I do, you know, with my significant other to be able to, you know, strengthen my own resolve versus another adult uh, adult, uh, uh, mindset so it, it's it's definitely helps helped me cultivate who I am and allows my son to have a much more free and rather o- omnidirectional way to grow if he if he ever chooses if he ever chooses whichever direction he chooses to grow in and allows me to be there for those steps as he takes them when he starts to take them especially because they're coming up sooner rather than later. Fair enough I can I can respect that and i think if you're if you're as a parent aren't teaching your kid to be wary of, be wary of free handouts from anybody i mean we, we 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 ourselves you know don't talk to strangers and don't accept anything from strangers if you have somebody who's well if you have a well meaning stranger trying to give you something even if it's something that might be advantageous to you you may not have the understanding of what their ulterior motives are and they be maybe much more nefarious and possibly violent in nature versus your well being, it's something that you should just that that should just be in place.
1: I concur. <laughs>
0: it's sorry. It's like I, I know
1: I know I should be adding more to it, but it's like yeah, it's kinda hard not to. It's kinda hard to add anything. It you pretty much have it there.
0: Well I mean it, it, it get back it gets back to your the the core of of your opening statement if the kid isn't actually talking with their parents about what's going on outside of the house and the, the you know whatever advocacy that they're doing the parents aren't involved in that and they aren't you know creating a, at least a little bit of resistance to it to for, so the kid can you know be tested on their on on their on their metal as it were that's that's a deficit on their part and and i mean if, if also if they're part of the whole process and they're also benefiting from it in some way and therefore have no problem with it occurring i think i would be even more concerned at that point because then it's a large then it turns into a larger uh, for, for conspiracy for lack of better term of people
1: who well, are trying to
0: mold and shape things in a negative connotation
1: well, that just goes back to political, uh, political pawns, and I would, ar- I would argue that even parents
0: can use their own children as political pawns. So it isn't. It ain't. It ain't out of the realm of possibility ever. And not just political pawns. I mean, th- there are definitely situations that that, that parents parents often use their kids in many different ways that. Uh, especially with, you know, other relations with their relations, with their significant others, divorce. I mean, it's, it's, it can get fucking messy. That's all I'm going to say with that. Fair enough. With that, I think we've uh, covered quite a bit this
1: evening. Wouldn't you say? I agree. Fair enough. And for those who continue to listen, thank you very much for joining us this evening and we hope to see you next week. Come by for a brand new topic of to discussion, and we look forward to seeing you there. Thank you for listening in to the Captain Mediocre's Haunted Tiki Bar. We are humbled that you have given us your time to listen to us discuss things. If you would like to hear more from us, you'd like to see more from us, uh, I have personally a account on Twitter under the name of Ragnarok Knight. My co-host here also has an account on Twitter as well. He goes under the name of Punk Toast. We also have a Facebook page under the name of Captain Mediocre's Haunted Tiki Bar if you would like to uh, check that out for updates on when we have our sessions.
0: We also have our voicemail link in the show notes. We will be having voicemails read During the course of our records going forward, as long as there are voicemails to be to be listened to Um, any further inquiries on that, uh, do feel free to PM either of us on Twitter, or you can go through the actual Facebook page to ask us any queries as well. Thank you so much to all of you. Safe travels to you all. Cast off, friends.